Bible, go please to 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 18. We continue tonight a series we began two weeks ago called Train to Reign. We're looking at the life of David and learning how God trains kingdom servants to do kingdom business. How many kingdom servants are here tonight? I'm going to ask for an usher to come. Uh, Brother Chandler, would you come, please? It seems like our vent over here has fallen under the uh, power of the Spirit. And, uh, I won't be able to preach if that's like that, so I'm just kind of obsessive that way. And you won't be able to focus either, will you? Praise the Lord. I know you're anxious to get... Goliath killed, but we're not there yet, all right? We are looking at the life of God's servant, David, and tonight I want to share with you how God shapes us and forms us so that we can reign. God's desire for us is that we would reign with him, and just one verse out of the scripture here, a description of the young man named David as he was brought to the attention of King Saul and one of them one of the young men said behold I have seen the son of Jesse this is verse 18 the Bethlehemite who is a skillful musician a mighty man of valor a warrior one prudent in speech and a handsome man and the Lord is with him. Aren't you glad the Lord is with you? Father, we come tonight to your word once again, and I pray that you would speak to us at the point of our need, that you would touch us at the place of our faith. And I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God tonight. As well, I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive the word with gladness. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Puede tomar su lugar. I want you to begin to form in your mind the conclusion that it is God's will for you to reign in diverse areas of your life. He said that it was His will that we would be the head and not the tail. And so if that is true, then it is a foregone conclusion that it is God's determined will that you and I should reign and be the head in the areas of our life that are the most important. I believe God wants you to reign in your emotions. I don't believe that God wants you to be cast down, discouraged, and depressed. I don't believe God wants you to walk in condemnation, in fear, in guilt, or in any of those things that can very easily plague the heart of man. I believe God wants you to reign in your emotions, to have a healthy heart, a healthy spirit, to have a healthy emotional life. How many of you want that? Okay, half of you want that. The other half, I guess you already have it or you're not so interested. How many of you want that? All right, that's better. I believe God wants you to reign in your finances. He said you would be the head and not the tail. 
So that means that in our finances, God wants us to reign. I don't believe God wants us to live constantly under the, um, the plague of lack, under the, uh, the curse or the mindset of poverty, but I believe he wants us to walk in the prosperity of the saints. I believe he said in his word that he wants us to prosper even as our soul prospers. And so you and I need to make this a determination in my mind, in our heart. God wants me to reign in this area of my life. He wants me to succeed and to succeed in my finances. He wants me to walk in financial victory. And so you may not be there right now, but I want you to set your sights on that. I have been painting this picture for you for a couple of years now. I hope you're painting it now for yourself. That God wants you to live in financial freedom and financial peace. I believe it is God's will for you and I to reign in our relationships, your marriages, your relationships with your children, that they would prosper, that they would be successful, that they would be healthy, that they would be developing in the fear and the knowledge of God. Can the church say amen? And so this is an area where many people are not reigning This is an area where the enemy comes in and through bad habits and bad character and the lack of integrity and sometimes bad upbringings and and examples from our past, we end up being reigned over by circumstances and by by the, the way that other people treat us and the way that other people see us. And God wants us to be above that. He wants us to reign in our relationships. I believe God wants you to reign in the area of your purpose. I believe that wherever a Christian is, that that place should, should acknowledge the fact that there is a child of God there by the kind of work that he does, by the kind of life that he lives. I believe that if you are somewhere and you are on a job or you are uh, representing your family in some way, that you ought to be the best representative possible in that place. That when people see you, they say, I'm not worried about hiring a Christian. I'm not worried about hiring a person who fears God because I know they're going to show up on time, they're going to do their job, they're going to do it well, and they're going to get, they're going to get the job done. Can I hear an amen? amen? Reigning is not as easy as it sounds. Life will throw a curveball at you every once in a while. Si Dios quiere que reinemos en todas las áreas de nuestra vida, a veces reinar no es tan fácil. La vida nos, nos lleva por diversos caminos que causan dificultad en nuestra vida. Pero tenemos que hacer esta determinación. Dios quiere que yo reine en esta área de mi vida. You have to make up in your mind tonight, God wants me to reign in this area of, of my life. And I would just challenge you, if you're taking notes, just jot down there in the corner of your notepad. Just jot down some areas where you believe that you need uh, a change so that you can reign in certain areas of your life. You might say, Pastor, I need to reign in the area of my finances. I am underneath right now. I'm not walking in, in, in the strength of God. And I, wanna, I want that situation to change. You might say, Pastor, I'm not reigning in my temperament my, right now. I'm not reigning in my emotions right now. And friend, you and I have been given the Spirit of God. And this is where we left off last week. 
that because David had the Holy Spirit, he had what it took to do the will of God in every circumstance of his life. Porque David tenía el Espíritu Santo, él tenía la habilidad de reinar en cada área de su vida. Tenía la oportunidad y también la habilidad de poder ser una, un conquistador, un so, uno que vivía sobre la circunstancia en cada área de su vida. Now I'll tell you, David didn't do it perfectly, and neither will you, neither will I. David no reinó perfectamente. Y na, ni, ninguno de nosotros puede reinar perfectamente. Pero cuando caminamos bajo el Espíritu, when we walk by the Spirit, we're going to see that God will give us victory in our lives. We're going to see that God will give us the ability to prosper in things we didn't even know we could do. Have you ever had an opportunity to do something and you didn't, you didn't think you could do it? But you went ahead and did it and God used it. God blessed it. God let you be a fruitful person in that situation. That's because when the Spirit of God is in you, you have what it takes. Tell your neighbor, I have what it takes. If you have the Spirit of God, you have what it takes to live this Christian life. To do it right and to do it for the honor and the glory of God. But you see, it takes a little bit of shaping. Because we were born out of shape. I don't, I don't mean to criticize anyone's physical situation, but we were all born out of shape. Nosotros nacimos sin forma. Nacimos con la necesidad de ser formados. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean this. We were born into sin. We were born uh, sinners by, by, by our birth as sons and daughters of Adam. We were born having a sin nature. And so we were born out of shape. We were born with the need that we be shaped into the, into the purpose that God had for our lives. Nacimos con una necesidad de ser formados para poder ser usados para la gloria de Dios. Para que pudiéramos cumplir con lo que Dios tenía para nosotros. You see, sin came and it, it redirected all of, our, all of our life into a direction of sin. Sin redirects your emotions towards sin. It redirects your appetite towards sin. It redirects your, your instinct towards sin. Sin uh, will, uh, will redirect everything toward itself, towards sin. And so you and I need to be shaped. We need to be formed into that image which God has determined for us. You know, the Bible says that God predestined that you would become conformed to the image of His Son. It is a foregone conclusion. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then it is God's will for you to look like Jesus and for you to talk like Jesus and for you to walk like Jesus, for you to become the express image of Christ on the earth, for you to live a life that is conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I know when we look at ourselves in the mirror, sometimes we don't see Christ, but that is the will of God for our lives. Uh, somebody told me once, Pastor Isaac, you radiate Jesus. Your face is like looking at the face of Jesus. And I went on 40 days with that compliment. It just encouraged me so much. I went for 40 days thinking about that. You know how important it is that when people see us, that they see the Christ that's living on the inside of us. That's what God has des desired for our lives. But I want you to know that we need a little shaping, especially if we're going to reign. They say that the, uh, the heirs to the throne of England, from the moment they're born, they're being, they're being cultivated and trained to take the throne. From the moment they're born, they're being shaped 
into the next king or the next queen of the land of England. And it is a certain responsibility. When you and I think about uh, the royals, we think about people who maybe live a posh and comfortable lifestyle with servants and all kinds of um, accommodations. But the fact is that their whole life is lived in order to prepare for that moment when they're going to have to serve their nation, when they're going to have to serve their country, and they're going to have to live a life in which they often set apart and aside their own ambitions and desires in order to do that for which they were born. You understand the connection tonight? You and I have to be shaped in order to reign in these areas of our lives. And and from the moment that you and I were born into Christ, He's been shaping us and forming us and molding us so that we are able to be that man, that woman that He desires for you to be and that He can shape you and form you to accomplish His purpose in the earth. So I want you to say, Lord, shape me. Is it all right if he shapes you? All right, here's the first thing we see in the life of David. That David was shaped by time alone with God. Lo Lo primero que vemos con David es que David fue formado cuando él tomó tiempo a solas con Dios. David lived much of his life alone. He lived much of his time, much of his, he spent much of his time alone, out in a pasture with his sheep. And they weren't his sheep, they were his father's sheep. But he lived what we would call a life of solitude. David vivió en muchas partes una vida de soledad. Una vida a solas con esas ovejas. And I don't know if you've ever met sheep, but they don't talk back. They are, they are not, uh, they're not very relational creatures. And so David was out there alone, but he was alone with God. And friends, this is the place where God begins to train us to reign. In those areas of our life where you and I need to be shaped, it comes as we spend time alone with God. As we get alone into His presence, and we get alone with our Bible, and we, or we, we turn to the voice of God in the Scriptures, and the voice of God in the Holy Spirit within our lives. David maybe didn't plan it out this way. But God planned it out so that he spent much of his time alone. And I want to just tell you, friend, if you want to do anything great for God, you're going to have to spend time alone with God. You're going to have to spend some time uh, with just you and God. Not you and God and the kids and not you and God and passing the church, but time with just you and God. Time where you spend one-on-one quality time with your Savior. It is in that alone time that he is shaping and forming our hearts. We call this the secret place, that place of communion, that place where no one else enters but just you and the Lord. I I have tried to make it a habit in my life to spend time alone with God every single day. And especially at different seasons of my life, I'll go away to a cabin in the the woods at sometimes at a a park and just spend days alone with God and just listen for what He's saying. And it is so important to spend those times with God because it's there where He can whisper things into your heart that are not just for that moment, but can be for five years later or ten years later or maybe twenty years later. It was in one of those alone times with God that he whispered to my ear and he said, Isaac, can you believe me for 500 men? 
And in that alone time with God, I received a vision for what God was going to do right here at this church and how God was going to raise up this church to raise up men who would be disciples of Christ and a blessing to their families and to their community. Now, you and I are, have, have to spend time alone with God in order to be able to hear that. And when you have spent that time alone with God, it begins to shape and form your life important for you to do that. The scripture tells us about Jesus. Many times, over and over, Jesus would withdraw alone to pray. Mark 1.35, it says in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Luke 4.42 speaks of Jesus. It says, and when it was day, he departed and went into the desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him, saying that they uh, w- and saying why he had departed from them. Luke six twelve it says, and it came to pass in those days that when he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer with God. Jesus gave us an example of solitary time with God, of a secret place with the Almighty. And friend, I want to tell you that there is no sweeter place than that place of communion with God. We sang it the other, the other week. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour, which before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer, and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. It is there where David's heart was shaped. Now, I want to tell you something about David. David was a wounded son. You remember when, when his father uh, saw Samuel the prophet and Samuel said, bring all your sons because we're going to offer an altar and a sacrifice. And God was going to choose one of those sons to be king. David's father brought everybody but David. David was that son that they didn't really care too much about. David grew up in that kind of a home where he was neglected, where he was forgotten, where he wasn't really taken, where he was taken for granted. He wasn't really, he wasn't really included in any of the great family discussions or decisions. But you see, while his earthly father was neglecting him and his, his earthly father was, was making him less than he was, his heavenly father was shaping his heart for the kingdom. It was shaping his heart to reign and to rule in many areas of his life. And I want to tell you, friend, it doesn't matter if your earthly father didn't do such a great job. Some of you had a great father like I did. Some of you didn't have a good father at all. Some of you didn't have a dad whatsoever. But even, it doesn't matter what the circumstance was in your human situation. When you and I can draw into the heart of God the Father, we'll find there that He is able to shape us and form us to the likeness of His Son. David tenía un padre el cual lo, lo ignoraba, el cual lo dejó fuera, como vimos las semanas pasadas. Pero en su tiempo a solas con Dios, su corazón estaba siendo formado. Por el corazón del Padre. And I want to just quote to you again the passage I quoted to you this morning out of, the, out of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The Lord said, come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. And I know he's talking about coming out from an unholy lifestyle and separating yourself to God. 
El, el, el apóstol Pablo dijo salir de entre ellos y estar a, a solas, estar separados Y él hablaba de una separación entre la inmundicia y la santidad But I believe also there's an invitation there if you and I will hear it The father is saying to us come out from among them and let's be separate Let's go and talk alone, let's go and share time alone Let's go and have a sweet communion alone He says and I will welcome you And I will be a father to you. And you will be a son to me. El Señor dice, salir de entre ellos y, y sepárate. Y yo te voy a dar la bienvenida, te voy a abrazar. Y seré padre para ti. Y serás hijo para mí. Friend, that is the beauty of spending this time alone with God. That you are drawn into the heart of God the Father. Drawn into the heart of God who is a God of love and of mercy and of tenderness. And is able to shape you without breaking you. Who is able to correct you without destroying you. Who is able to build into you the metal that it's going to take to stand up under pressure in the days to come. The enemy fights that because he doesn't want us to live in, in the heart of our Father. He wants us to feel like God is out to get us, like God is mad at us, like God is, uh, is going to judge us. And friend, if you don't know Jesus, that's exactly the position you're in. But when you know Jesus, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? Just turn it around. It means everyone who comes to me has access to the Father, has access to the heart of God. And he's been able to be drawn in to that heart and to that one that loves you and cares for you and knows you better than anyone else. Jesus spent time alone because he was spending time with his father. He was spending time with his daddy. Do you understand this, church? The scripture says that we have been given a spirit of adoption so that we cry out, Abba, Father. We're able to call God Daddy. We're able to call God Father because we have come through Jesus Christ. Dice la Escritura que hemos sido dados un espíritu de adopción por el cual podemos clamar Abba Padre que simplemente dice, quiere decir Papá, un, un término tan íntimo entre hijo y padre. Y esa es la voluntad de Dios para tu vida hoy. I want to encourage you today to run to the Father's heart to run to the God who loves you. You might have been serving him forever, but that doesn't mean he loves you any less. It doesn't mean that his love toward you has grown cold. Maybe your love toward him has grown cold. But if you will run into that secret place and just find that place of embrace, you will come to know the heart of God the Father. And when you're there, friend, it'll change your life. His presence makes a difference. One, one moment in the presence of the Father will change your entire life. It will change your entire day. That's why you and I, when we come to church, we love to experience His presence because there's nothing like it in the world. There's nothing like it to be in the presence of God. You don't even have to say a word, do you? When God is present, everything gets said and nothing gets said at all. When God is present, it's like you read his, his mail and he reads your mail. It's like all, all things are in common. There is sweet communion between God and man. You say, Pastor, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to, how, how to accomplish that. Friend, it's not very difficult at all. All you need to do is find a place alone with God. A place of communion. For David, it was a field with his sheep. For you, it may be your kitchen table before everybody else gets up in the morning. Or maybe as everyone else has gone to bed at night. 
It may be a, a secret place where you can get away and just listen for his voice and talk to him. I know that when I, when I come into this secret place with God, I like to lie prostrate on my face before God. I just lie down all the way down completely before God. That's my preferred posture. And I just lay there. Sometimes I don't say a word. Sometimes I just listen and wait for his presence. Wait to hear his voice. And you know the beauty of it is? There's no pressure. You, you know, when you're hanging out with your father, it's not like you got to come up with something to talk about. Like you got to find some topics that you have something in common. You could just sit there and nobody says anything. Have you ever had, anyway, that's how it is with men, right? Two men take a road trip. They can go four hours and never say a word, and their relationship is a-okay. And two ladies, on the other hand, they never stop talking the whole trip, right? It's just start to finish. But when you get with God, there's no pressure. It's just spending time with him, being alone with him. Listening to him. Cuando usted se pone a solas con Dios, no hay presión para, para, para hacer algo o para, uh, para producir algo. Solamente es tomar tiempo con él. Estar en su presencia y oírlo hablar. Oírlo decir a tu corazón lo que él tiene y quiere decir. Y en esos lugares, David fue formado para reinar en las áreas de su vida. You'll be surprised what God will say to you in the quiet place. In that secret place. Usted va a ser sorprendido a lo que Dios le puede decir en ese lugar de silencio con Dios. You know, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and Pentecostals don't do anything quietly, right? If, if there's a quiet moment in the service, we get awkward. It's like, what's going on here? But uh, when I went to the Baptist University, all of a sudden, there were a quiet bunch. And, and they were all talking about Quiet time. And I was saying, what is quiet time? And my, my roommate said, Isaac, I'm going to have my quiet time. I said, what, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to spend time with God. And I, I, I then understood what he was talking about. But if you don't have a quiet time, a, a time that you can spend alone with God, where you turn out all the noise and just listen to him. Sometimes you can uh, pray with worship music, but sometimes it's not that good of an idea. Sometimes it's distracting because you start thinking about the song, you start thinking about the lyrics, and you forget why you're there. So if it helps, that's fine. But if it's distracting to you, then turn it off. Turn everything off and just listen to him. And let me just give you a good word of advice. If you ever fall asleep in his presence, just wake up and keep praying, all right? Don't, don't let the enemy tell you, you are a wicked Christian. Look at you. Could you not wait with me in one hour? And, and you know how the enemy comes in and, and, uh, and he'll just try to bog you down like that and make you never want to pray again on the off chance that you fall asleep and, and irreverence God. But you see, it's just sweet to fall asleep in daddy's arms sometimes. And when you wake up, it's like you never lost communication. And, and it, is, it is all right. And sometimes when you, when, you have, when you have just been there, you don't have anything to say. You just wait before him. And maybe there's no great revelation, but just knowing that he cares. Just knowing that he loves. Just knowing that he knows. Just knowing that he understands. Just knowing that he is aware of what you're going through. And oh, what sweet, what sweet joy it is when you can just unload all those burdens on him and leave them there you see this this is a problem sometimes you and I if we go and unload our burdens on somebody else 
That happens to me sometimes because I'm a pastor, and I can tell when somebody is unloading. You know, I say, how are you? And they just give me a whole 10 minutes worth of every bad thing that's happened in the last 24 hours, right? And I know this guy hasn't talked to anybody. This lady hasn't talked to anybody in a long time. They're just unloading. And when you do that to somebody else, they can't handle it. It's too much of a burden. I can't handle all your stuff. I got my own stuff to handle. But when you unload on God, he can bear the burden. He cares for you. He is able to withstand the pressure and the weight of that. And so when you and I come in that place of communion with God, it's surprising what he might say to us. I told you the other day, he told me, Isaac, clean your desk. I said, Lord, I'm trying to pray right now. I want a, a deep revelation from you. But he said, clean your desk. And so while I started cleaning my desk, he started to speak to my heart. And, and it'll just surprise you sometimes that you think you, you need to hear God on this. But God's really not concerned with you hearing him on this. He'll talk to you about this over here. He said, Lord, I don't want to talk about that right now. I intentionally didn't bring that up. But he said, I'm bringing it up because I want to deal with it. I want to get it healed. I want to get it restored. I want to bring it into the light so that it can be something that you can step over and walk on in victory. Say, shape me, Lord, in the secret place. I hope that this week you will find that secret place with God. I know the ladies watched the, the war room this, this week. I haven't seen it, but I guess it's about a secret place. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say nothing about the war room because I haven't seen it. But I want you to know this, that... It doesn't matter if you have a big old fancy war room with all the strategies in there. If you don't spend time with God, what's the use of the room, right? You've got to have a place where you can spend time with God, where you can hear his voice, where you can say, Lord, shape me, form me, and make me. Not only was David formed and shaped in that place of communion with God, in that place alone with God, but he was also shaped and formed in obscurity. He was shaped and formed by God when nobody was watching, when nobody knew who he was or what he was going to be. He had been anointed to be king, but really nobody knew about it. It was a secret ceremony, a secret anointing. No solamente Dios formó a David en el lugar de solas con él, pero también lo formó en el lugar de donde lo tenía oculto, lo tenía escondido. Maybe you're wondering, God, when's my day coming? When am I going to have the opportunity to do those things you've spoken to my spirit? When am I going to have the chance to step out on the stage and do that great thing that you've called me to do? But friend, don't despise the day of obscurity. Don't despise that day when God says, I don't want anybody to know about you right now. I want to keep you hidden so that I can form you and make you the man or woman that I want you to be. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. And I just want to speak directly to our young people tonight. Don't despise the day of obscurity. Don't get ahead of yourself and say, no, I want it now. I want to get out there and do it now. Wait on God's timing. Wait on God's measure. Because if you get out there too early, you may not have what it takes to do the thing that God wants you to do. You see, David had the anointing, but his character needed to be formed. And see, you can have the anointing, but if you don't have the character, you're going to end up stumbling along the way. And then other people might have the character, but they don't have the anointing. What matters is the right time and the right place for you to step out and do that thing which God has called you to do. You know, when I was about 16 years old, 
I think 16 or 17, Pastor Ramos uh, nominated me for the president of Youth United for Christ. And I wasn't at the convention. The Lord didn't want me there. And I think about it, you know, I could have been YFC president when I was 16. Maybe. But the Lord said, no, you're going to be YFC president when you're 30. And guess what? He, he held me back. 15 whole years because there was something I couldn't have done when I was 16 that I had to do when I was 30. He was shaping and forming me so that I could accomplish his will at the right time and in the right place and for the right purpose. And you see, friends, when you and I have the ability to just wait on God and say, Lord, I don't like the obscurity. I don't like to, I don't like to wait, but I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait for you to reveal your timing and your purpose in this. He's training you to reign. He's training you to wait on him. And when you learn to wait, friend, when you learn to, to position yourself in a place where you can be a treat, where you can be trained in order to accomplish that purpose, God will send you some lions and some bears to fight before he'll send you a giant. He'll send you some small battles so that you can fight them in obscurity. And the beauty of it is when you fight in obscurity, nobody's there to criticize you or talk about you. It's just you and the Lord. And then the Lord sits you down and says, look, this is what you did right. This is what you did wrong. That's why we have a preaching lab at the Bible school. And those poor students have to get up and preach in front of their peers. But I tell them, look, it's better to stumble and fall in here and the stubble and they fall in the pulpit. So you just might as well get them all out right now and, and just learn to let, let your heart be trained in that moment of obscurity, in that moment where no one else knows what's going on. You know, Jesus was in obscurity for 31 years. He began his ministry at 30. That means the first 30 years of his life, nobody knew that he was the Messiah except for Mary and, and Joseph. And, and I'm sure that, and himself, of course, and I'm sure that there were moments when he would have had opportunities to do something. And 30 years is a long time to wait, especially if your ministry is only going to be three years long. 30 years is a very long time to train for a three-year ministry. Now we train three years for a 30-year ministry. But Jesus trained 30 years for a three-year ministry. And then God moved him into the ministry. And the first year of his ministry, very few people knew who he was. He had a ministry in obscurity. And every time he performed a great wonder, he would say, don't go and tell anybody. And, you know, that would frustrate the disciples that said, Lord, our business model's not really working out. And, you know, you got to perform these miracles in front of everybody. And when you do, you tell the people, don't say anything about it. we got to tell it to the whole world. But, you see, God had him in obscurity for just the right time and just the right place. And just at that moment, God put him out into the limelight. And his ministry was short and it was powerful. And it changed the world and it's still changing the world to this day because he allowed himself to be formed in obscurity. He allowed himself to be formed where nobody was, was watching and where nobody would be able to say, this is what God is doing. I just want to mention this. There's a movie coming out about the young Jesus. I don't know what it's called, but I think it's about the young Jesus. And apparently he's going to work miracles in his childhood. Don't, don't you even start thinking that that's Jesus, all right? That's somebody's imagination. Jesus waited till he got to Cana of Galilee to perform the first miracle. And then it was at a wedding. And at that place, he performed that miracle. And really nobody knew about it. 
They drank the wine and didn't even know that they were drinking the wine of the first miracle of Jesus because God had him in obscurity. But the day came when the basket was lifted over the lamp and everybody in the world is seeing that light now. So wait on God. Let him do it in his timing and in his purpose. Now, number three, another thing God uses to prepare us to reign, to train us. And this one you're not going to like. I already know because I don't like this. But God uses routines to train us to reign. You say, oh, no, pastor, I hate routines. I just can't stand doing the same thing over and over again. I'm kind of that way myself. Sometimes I'll just take another road just because I don't like the routine. I just want to do it different. But God will use repetition. And routines. David lived a life of routines. He just went to the, went out to the sheep. He did his thing. Went home. Next day, same deal. And in that routine, God was shaping him and making him faithful. God was making him consistent. God was making him a man of determination. You see, if you, if you and I won't allow ourselves to be shaped by the routine that God has set up for us, we will miss out on the building in of our character and the faithfulness that God wants to build for our lives. Our parents taught us very young a, a simple routine. You give 10% of every increase you get to God. And guess what? When it was 10 cents out of a dollar, it wasn't such a big deal. And then a dollar out of, uh, out of 10 wasn't a big deal. And 10 out of 100 wasn't a big deal. And 100 out of 1,000 wasn't a big deal. Because that routine had already been formed into us. Some of you didn't have that routine, did you? And now you're looking at the tithing like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust God like that. But you see, it's in those simple routines. When you, when you wake up every morning and give your first time to God, and you spend time in prayer and in meditation in His Word, when you build a routine of church attendance, you build that routine of being in Bible study, you build that routine of going and being in a small group, you build that routine of being a tither, you build all of those routines into your life. God is going to reward it all at the right moment and in the right time. So you just have to be faithful where you are with what you have. And at the right time, God will raise you up. You might say, but I'm tired of my routine. Many times people will, they will leave something God has given them to do because it's lost its luster. God will always let you do a job after it's lost its luster, just so that you will learn to trust him. We all like to do the job when it's, when it's got luster and shine, but when it gets old, we start saying, oh, Lord, I think I've had it with this, and yet it's God forming us through that, and he's shaping us to become that person who's faithful in the small things. You remember what the Lord said to the servant? He said, because you were faithful in the small things, I will put you as Lord over great things. God rewards faithfulness. He rewards those who are diligent in doing, even if it's the same thing over and over again, but doing it faithfully, and God rewards that, and he brings it to fruition and to fulfillment. Finally, God shapes us. Now, I know you're not going to like this one at all, but God shapes us through trouble. Say, oh, no, pastor, I wish you had preached a three-point sermon tonight. Why did you have to bring in the fourth point? But God will shape you through trouble. But I don't like trouble. Trouble hurts. Trouble is painful. Trouble is a, uh, brings anxiety to my soul. Friend, God will shape you through trouble. 
If you don't want to reign, then you don't need any trouble. You don't need any struggles. You don't need any stretching in your life. But if you want to reign in your finances, guess what? There's going to be some trouble in your finances. If you want to reign in your marriage, every once in a while, there's going to be some trouble in your marriage. If you want to reign in your relationships, trouble's going to come into your relationships. Every area where you want to reign, there's going to be trouble. Why? Because God will shape you through trouble. God will shape you through struggle. Every time that you and I set out to go to another level, we're literally saying, God, I'm signing up for some trouble. Now you say, Lord, I want another level, but I don't want any trouble. I told you this morning, when you say, I don't want any trouble, you're really telling God, don't give me no increase. Don't take me to another level. I'm fine just to where I am. But if you want to go somewhere higher than you've been, you're going to have to go through some trouble that you've never been through before. Is that all right? Say, shape me, Lord. So next time you see trouble in your life, just say, shape me, Lord. Right now, right now it feels painful and it hurts. But you know what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews? It says that no discipline is pleasant for the time. But when it is accomplished, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you are exercising your body to, to develop a muscle, it requires, uh, uh, it requires some stretching, some straining. It, re- pardon. <clears throat> it requires resistance, but that resistance is building something into your body. And so it is in the spirit that when you and I go through resistance, our life is being shaped and formed to be what God wants for us to be. And that trouble, though it's not pleasant, when it has accomplished its purpose, will produce fruit in my life. I want you to walk out of here and know tonight that God is producing something through your pain. Your pain is not for nothing. Your pain is not just a a passing thing. But God is producing something through your pain. God is producing something through every hardship. Those lions and those bears that came against David's sheep were just the, product, the, the place of producing. They were the struggles he was going to have to face in order to become the man that God wanted him to be. Listen to what he faced. First he faced the lion and the bear. And then the Bible says that he would go and have to face a demon-possessed King Saul. And then he would face Goliath. He would also have to face being ignored, criticized, and undermined. He'd have to face being the black sheep of the family. And he would have to face those kinds of troubles. He was in the classroom of adversity. He was in the university of the wilderness for about 15 years. From the anointing to the crowning. Do you have that kind of staying power? Are you willing to hang in there for 15 years to be able to reign? Or 25 years or 30? I don't know how long you hung in there. But can you hang in there just a little longer? If God says, I am producing something through your pain. I am producing something through your trouble, and I'm going to do this in your life. God was making a man out of David. He was making out of that little boy who had been anointed with oil, a man of God, a man who would be skillful and be able to reign in every area of his life. And so the Bible says that when they spoke about him, they said he is a skillful man. He has the skills to do the job. And then they said, he is a mighty man of valor. They didn't call him a mighty boy. That would be kind of funny, right? Oh, David is a mighty boy. But this, David was a young man. And they said, he's a mighty man. He has the spirit of God inside of him. And not only is he mighty, but he is courageous. He is a man of valor. 
They didn't know that he had been shaped in all of those different ways by God. That God had been forming him and making him into the very image of his son. They said he's prudent in his speech. He watches what he says. He speaks deliberately. When he speaks, he speaks as a man. You know, a a boy, a a child speaks kind of to the wind, doesn't know what he's talking about. But a man, when he speaks, his yes is yes, and his no is no. He He knows what he's talking about. He is a man who is prudent in speech. And then they said, he's a handsome man. He's the kind of man that when you see him, you're attracted to what's in his life. You're attracted to the things that are in his character. And there's something about him that just draws you to him because he's a man on whom God has placed his hand. Oh, they didn't know it, but they were talking about a man that had been shaped by God. A man whose heart had been formed and, and, and shaped by the hands of his father. And then finally they said, the Lord is with him. Why was the Lord with David? Because David was with the Lord. David had spent time with God. David had gotten along with God and he was being trained for that moment where he would come to the king to become king over all the nation of Israel. Friend, let me tell you this in closing. If you can't reign in your heart and in your personal life, you'll never be able to reign outside. God wants you to reign over you first. The old, the old chorus said, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one that needs work. I'm the one that needs shaping. I'm the one that needs forming. And when you let God reign in your heart and life, he will cause you to reign in all these diverse areas of your life. When you allow him to reign in your heart and in your life, and you give him lordship, and kingship and fatherhood in your life and you treat God as your father and you as his son it is in that place where God forms and shapes the heart of his servant and makes him useful for the kingdom purpose to which he was born and for which he was designed David's life is going to be a life that would mark not only the the generation that he lived in but every generation after him to the extent that Jesus would be called the son of of David. He would bear the name. When Jesus comes back in the end, he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. Why? Because David learned how to be a man reigned by God. A man in whose heart God was reigning. Whose God God had shaped to reign in all these diverse areas of his life. You may say, Pastor, I don't really know why what this message has to do with me. Well, friend, If you're never going to reign anywhere, then this message isn't for you. But if you know that you know that you know that God has destined you to reign in some area of life, that he he has called you to reign, to be the head and not the tail, to go above and not beneath, to be a blessing to those people around you, to be a blessing and not a curse, then you have to make up your mind tonight. I have been called to be shaped by God. And you make up in your mind tonight, if God has designed me for that, then I need to train and let my heart be shaped so that he can use it and he can form it to do those things which he has called me to do. I know that you might say this would have been a good message to hear when I was a teenager, Pastor. But now I'm in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Friend, it's the same message for every generation of your life. It's the same message for every one of us. Because you see, he's taking this church to places we've never been. 
He's taking us in a direction that we've never gone before. We're going to reign in areas that we have never seen. And in order to do that, He's training us to reign. He's shaping our heart. And He's teaching us things. And if we'll allow ourselves to be taught by Him, He'll do those things. And I want you just to be careful about this. Because if you don't let Him do it in your life, somebody else will. And before you know, somebody else will just pass you by and make more progress in you. You can be sitting in church 20 years and somebody that's been in church 20 minutes just outran you because they let themselves be shaped and formed by the hand of God. And yet if you'll say, Lord, shape me. If you'll say, Lord, I'm going to find a secret place. I'm going to find a place of communion and, and, and a place of being alone with you. And I'm going to make this a year of stability in my life because I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to spend time with God. I promise you this. He will meet you there. He will meet you in that place. He won't let you be there alone. He's the one that gave us the invitation. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you will be a son to me, says the Lord God Almighty. This afternoon, I want to invite you.